podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. Oh, I'm excited about what we're teaching this morning. Our series comes from uh, something that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. Very familiar, but I would encourage you to look at this as if you're looking at it for the first time. Notice what Jesus says here, John 10, 10. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. So uh, Jesus is very clear here that, and he's talking about the devil. Throughout scriptures, we understand that the enemy, the, the devil is a, is a thief. In fact, First uh, uh, Peter 5, 8 says, your enemy, the devil, for those that don't think they have an enemy, the devil, the Bible says, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. That's, that's thievery right there. By nature, the devil is a thief, and he comes to steal people's joy and their, their peace and their innocence and their dignity and their dreams and their purpose and their confidence. He comes to steal relationships and their health, and, and he's, just, he's just out to make your life bad. What I'm so thankful for is that Jesus did not stop there. He continues on in the verse, and I want you to hear it at all of our campuses. Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Isn't that good? That they would have it more abundantly. Uh, the message translation is where we get our, our, our series title. Uh, this is what Jesus says, a better life than they ever dreamed of, a better life than they've ever dreamed of. I'm just here today to tell you, and this is what we're focusing on all, all month long, is that it can be better. Uh, God wants you to have a life that you have dreamed of. So Jesus in John 10, 10 is basically saying that Satan comes to steal it all away, but I've come so that you can get it all back. Isn't that awesome? That you can have a better life than you've ever dreamed of. I believe that it can be better than it's ever been. I believe that it can, your marriage, your life, your, your, your vocation, your, your family, your, your finances, it can all be better. Uh, your health, come on, it can be better. Um, regardless what has been lost in your life, and I think I'm talking to the right people because you only have to live a few minutes to realize that there's thievery going on, and, and so much of us are depressed and discouraged and sad because of what we've been through in life. And I'm just here to encourage you to tell you that whatever's been lost, our God wants to give it all back. He wants to make it better than it's ever been. Now, here lies the problem, and we talked about it last week. Here lies the problem is that people, many people, tolerate what is instead of fighting for what could be. We, we just come in, we, we fold our arms, and we tolerate a sucky life because we refuse to fight for what God has promised. And, and we looked at this verse last week, Isaiah 42, 22. God speaking about the condition of his people that had absolutely be, been ripped off. And this is what God said concerning them. It says, look at God's people. Others have defeated them and have stolen from them. The, the young men are afraid and they are locked in prisons. People have taken advantage of them. And there is no one to protect them. Others take their money and there is no one saying. Now catch this. It says, and there is no one saying, so, 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 so the Bible talks about a people that have just been absolutely stolen from, and then the Bible says, God says, and no one is saying, give it 
back. In other words, they were tolerating what was going on in their life instead of fighting for what God had promised. The New King James says, no one is saying, restore. God's people have been robbed. They've been taken advantage of. And God's response, and I believe God's response to even us today, is that why in the world are we putting up with this kind of devastation? Why in the world are we not opening our mouth and saying, give it back? Why are we saying, come on, restore? Why aren't we standing up and saying, I've had enough of a sucky life, and I want what God has promised. Restore. Give it back. Come on, that's what God is saying. And so I think so much of the time we tolerate instead of standing up and fighting for what rightfully belongs to us. Last weekend, we talked about the reality that we serve a God who wants to restore Man, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to download the podcast. There's no excuse because it's free of charge and get caught up with us. But we talked about five different areas that God has promised to restore in your life. And, and, and the reality is, again, that God wants to restore. It, it, it's really who He is. It's, it's what He's all about. Now, now, just in case you don't understand, let me just let you know what this, res- this word restore means. In the English dictionary, the word restore is defined by uh, returning it back to its original condition. And most of us are trained to think that way. When we think of restore, it just is, is just to, to, to return it back to its original condition. But, but the Bible, that word restore throughout the Bible, it doesn't mean that. Here's what the word restore means in the Bible. It means to always make it better than it's ever been. When God says, I will restore, he's saying, I will make it better than it's ever been. It's almost hard to sit there and be quiet when you hear good news like that. Huh? He says, I will make it better than it's ever, whatever you've lost, whatever's been taken, whatever devastation you've experienced, I can show up and not just return it back to, to the original condition, but I'm God. I can make it better than it's ever been. So, so it's, under, it's important that, that we understand that he's looking to make it better than it has ever been. And, and that, the reason why is because uh, some things, think about it, can't be replaced, but it can always be made better. Sometimes you can't start over, but you can always start again, and that new start can always be better. Restoration is never about being the same. It's always about being better. So important that you understand that. It's not about being the same. It's about it always being better. Here's God's promise, Deuteronomy 30, verse 3. We looked at it last week. God, your God, will restore everything you've lost. What a promise. And I'm so glad you're here today at all of our campuses that, that, that you're hearing this promise. God says, he says, I will make it better than it's ever been. There's nothing Here's what he's saying. There's nothing that the enemy has taken from your life that I can't make it better in your life. Listen, God is a God of recovery. He recovers lost souls, lost relationships, lost hopes, lost dreams, lost promises, lost opportunities. Come on, God can give your health back. He can give provision and prosperity and success back. Are you thankful? Are you thinking, and I might need to just pause here because some of you say, well, life is good, but have you ever read the promises in the Bible? There's a lot that we've never experienced. In other words, the enemy stole it before it ever got to your life. And God wants to give all that back plus make it 
better. Now, in the time we have left, I want to look at a fascinating story about the recovery of lost things and stolen things. It's a, it's a story about David, and he's about the age or around the age of, of 30. And God has already used him to kill. Most of us know this story, killed, uh, killed the giant Goliath. And, and God has already announced and appointed him to be the next king, although it hasn't happened in his life. It's like it's been almost 15 years since God has made that promise. And because of that, in this moment where, where things have not happened in his life, he's actually on the run from King Saul, who's a jealous king because he knows that David's going to take his place. And he's jealous of David because all the women are singing songs like Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And so David is on the run, running for his life with his 600 mighty men and and their families. And and they find refuge from Saul in a place called Ziglag. Ziglag is a place that they can finally call home. It's a place that they can raise their families. And what happens in this place called Zigzag, is that David and his men have been out on a long journey dealing with some other enemies besides Saul's, uh, some other adversaries. And as they're coming back home one day from a distance, they, they see this billowing smoke on the horizon, and they realize that something is wrong back home. And we pick up the story here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning with verse 1. It says, when David and his men arrived home at their their city of Ziglag, they found the Amalekites. These are brutal enemies of of David and his men. Uh, They found that the Amalekites had raided the city and burned it to the ground. Verse 2, carrying off all the women and children. That's their wives. Verse 3, and David and his men looked at the ruins and realized what had happened to their families. Notice verse 4, they wept until they could weep no more. They wept until they could weep no more. This is absolutely crazy. What devastation. Every wife, every son, every daughter, every cow, every lamb every animal, everything of any value whatsoever has all been taken. It is absolutely all gone. Their city is now just one big pile of ashes. It's been been completely burned, the Bible says, to the ground. And now they're all weeping, and they're weeping, and they're weeping. And the Bible says they weep until they have no more tears to cry. Have you ever been there? Many of us have. Now, what is amazing about this horrific loss is I'm going to tell you the end of the story, and then we're going to back up and talk about some principles to getting some things back. So this is kind of a spoiler alert right here. The end of the story is that, is that God restored it all back. Come on, isn't that good news? Regardless how bad it was, God restored it all back. But when God restores, he not only gives it all back, but he always makes it better. 1 Samuel verse 30, verse 18, here it is. So David recovered everything that had been taken. Nothing was missing from the smallest thing to the greatest treasure. None of the sons or daughters. Notice no property of any kind. David brought everything home. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 20, David also captured their flocks and herds. So David not only gets his stuff, but he gets all of the enemy stuff. God prospered him and God made it better. So in this moment, in the worst day of David's life, 
They had lost everything that they had of any kind of value. And God comes in and God restores and God makes it better than it's ever been before. Three things that David did in this story uh, when, when he had experienced this loss. These are three things that I believe can assist us as we're believing God for restoration in every area of our lives. Am I talking to right people? Come on, does anybody need some lost things restored? Come on, these are three things that you need to do if you're going to see recovery in your life. Here's the first one. In fact, all of them start with P's so you can remember them this week. It's kind of a preacher thing. But here's the first thing. David praised. David praised. If you're going to see recovery in your life, you're going to have to learn how to praise God. First Samuel 36, it says, it says, David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter. Notice that. And losing their son, about losing their sons and daughters. And they begin to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. For all you stoners, that's not your verse. That's not your verse to support your, your, your habit. They're talking about throwing rocks. They're talking about killing David. In other words, it says, but David found strength in, his, in the Lord his God. In other words, David in this moment of crisis, when he had lost everything, David's, David's focus turned towards God. Come on. When you're experiencing loss in your life, You've got to turn your focus towards God. And that is what praise is all about, turning your focus towards God. The definition of praise is that it is the expression and articulation that esteems God. It's the expression and the articulation that esteems God. We actually had a praise service earlier where we begin to articulate and, and express our love towards God. So, so if you sat there and like this during that praise service, you didn't praise. Because praise means you open your mouth and you express and you articulate your esteem to God. Let me give you the greatest definition, I believe, of the, of, of the word praise. Praise simply means love expressed. Love expressed. And this is what David did in the, in the midst of his crisis is he begins to praise God. He begins to go Godward. He turns his focus towards God. In fact, David said this in Psalms 59, 17. He says, you are my source of strength. I will open my mouth and sing praises to you. In other words, David is weak. David is in a crisis. David has lost everything that he has, his wife, his children. Everything is gone. And David knows how to find strength. He begins to open his mouth and praise his God. Romans 4.20, Abraham did the same thing. Notice Romans 4.20, when Abraham was up against an impossibility in his life, the Bible says, but he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise. The way you become strong in the midst of your loss and your crisis and your hell is that you begin to praise God. And when you praise God, strength comes in to your life. Now, now, now listen, ch church, David understood, please catch this, David understood something 
that we need to understand. That if you don't praise, then you will look to blame. Uh, If you don't turn to God, you will become bitter at people. And this is exactly what happened to David's friends. They turned on him and they became bitter and they blamed him for their misery. And it's so easy to do. When you don't choose to praise God, you'll start looking for somebody to blame your pain on. And it's easy to get caught up in blaming other people. But listen, don't do that because that won't fix your issue. That won't fix your problem. Now, now David is not only grieving the loss of his own family, but now he has this betrayal of his closest friends. They're wanting to now kill him. And it's in this moment, think about this, it's in this moment that it would have been so easy for David to begin to blame God. I know because I've been there before. It'd been so easy for David to shake his fist at God and say, so this is what I get for serving you, God? So, so this is what, this is, this is what really God, I, I've done my best to live for you, to walk in your ways, and now this is the mess I get, God. You could have fixed this. God, why did you let this happen to me? David could begin to, he could have begun to blame God. Why, God? But David, listen, David doesn't do that. Not David. He doesn't blame other people, and he doesn't begin to blame God. He began to open his mouth, and he began to praise God. After David got done weeping, David began to praise. Come on, in your tragedy, in your, in, in your crisis, when, when hell's all around you, are you blaming or are you praising. This would have been a great opportunity this morning at all of our campuses for you to come in and not fold your arms and close your mouth. It's a great opportunity to get restoration and recovery in your life and to open your mouth and find strength in God. Did you know, did you know that much of the book of Psalms that we have is just an account of David's lifestyle of praise? The whole book is in the Bible, and, and much of it is just David's lifestyle of opening his mouth and talking and praising God. In fact, look at Psalms 42. Here's an account of it. Psalms 42, verse 10, talking about his enemies. He says, my enemies insult and insults make me feel as if my bones were broken. They are always, catch this, they are always saying, where is your God? Isn't that true? The enemy always gets on our shoulders, doesn't he? And he, he, he gets there and, and he's, he's, he's always whispering in your ear, So where is your God now? Uh, This is what you get for serving God? Why did your God let you let this happen to you? Your God doesn't love you. I mean, all you have to do is is hit the wall and face problems in, 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 in this life. And that enemy gets on your shoulders and says, oh, so this is what you get for going to Sunday church. This is what you get for showing up to prayer meeting. This is what you get for serving God. Where is your God now? I'm sure David at Ziglag, when he had lost everything that he had, I'm sure that enemy was on his shoulder saying, Oh, David, where's your God now? Why did your God let let this happen to you? Oh, David, God doesn't care about you. If he cared about you, he would have fixed this before it ever happened. 
But notice, notice what David does. In the very next verse, after saying, you know what, my enemies torment me, they're always saying, where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God? And it would have been a, a, a prime opportunity for David to say, yeah, where is my God? And blame God. But David doesn't do that. Notice what he does do. He says, why am I so sad? He begins to talk to himself. Why am I so upset? I know what I'm going to do. I should put my hope in God and keep praising him, my Savior. When David could have blamed others, when David could have blamed his boss why, for the reason why he didn't get the promotion, he could have blamed his wife for why their marriage sucks, he could have blamed the kids for why life is so miserable, David refuses to blame people, and David refuses to blame God. Listen, and David begins to go Godward. He says, I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to be sad anymore. He says, I'm not going to be upset about this situation. I know what I'm going to do. I know how to get restoration. I'm going to open my mouth, and I'm going to praise my God. It says, it says, I says, I'll put my hope in God and keep praising him, my Savior. That word Savior is so important. Do you know that Savior means to be saved? To means to be delivered. It means to be made, made whole or healed. But do you know that way, that word Savior also means restorer? He says, I know what I'll do. I'll keep praising him, my restorer. Because he's getting ready to make it better than it's ever been if I'll choose to praise instead of blame. So David, David praised his God. Here's the point. Restoration is happening for those who praise. Come on, celebration, hear it. Uh, I got to tell you this morning, I haven't, I haven't come with a cute message. I'm trying to help celebration to experience his best days yet. And I'm here to tell you that when we gather together at all of our campuses in our song services, if we all begin to lift our voices and declare God's goodness, it'll be amazing what God will begin to do in our lives. For some of you, that means you're going to have to start getting here just a little bit early. Some of you don't even make it to praise service. I'm here to tell you, you wouldn't show up at your job late. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Come on, I I dream of a church where people are hungry, they get here on time, that when the music starts, the voices begin to declare, He is our God. I'm here to tell you, restoration is happening for those who praise a life better than you've ever dreamed. Uh, Other preachers, if they would preach in this, they'd tell you to take a praise break right now. So I'm going to try that. Why don't you just take a praise break right now? Somebody just begin to shout. Somebody begin to pray. Come on, somebody begin to... Woo! That's the church I'm dreaming of. Come on. In Madeira and Fresno and Clovis, say we'd be a people that says, He is our God. I refuse to blame Him. I refuse to blame people. I'm going to get restoration in my life. Woo! Point number two, David not only prays, here it is, David prayed. It's the second P, David prayed. Now you know why we're having praise and prayer meetings last two Wednesday nights of this month. David prayed. Notice 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. Then David prayed to God, shall I go after these raiders? Can I catch them? The answer came. It was the raiders that stole those, those wives. I knew there was always an issue with the Raiders. How many Raiders fans do we have here? 
That might be the problem. I can hear him. I can hear him yelling in Clovis. I mean, in Fresno, Madeira. That might be the problem. The raiders have come in and raided. Then David prayed to God. Also, I'll read it again. Shall I go after these raiders? Can I catch them? The answer came. Go after them. Yes, you'll catch them. Yes, you'll make the rescue. Not only did David praise his God, but David prayed to his God. There's ever a time, if there's ever been a time in our nation that God's people need to pray, it's right now. Come on, celebration. I hope you heed the call. I hope you hear what your pastor is saying today. I believe the time is ripe for God's people to get together and pray. One of the greatest privileges that a believer possesses is the God-given opportunity to pray to God and to get answers from God. Did you notice that David prayed and then God answered David? I believe at the end of this month we're going to pray and God's going to answer us. Come on. You can't get that sleeping. You can't get that watching TV. You can't do, get that playing your sports. But you can as people, God's people gather together and pray. Jeremiah 33.3, it says, call to me. God says, call to me, pray, and I will answer you if we'll call to him. If we'll pray, God is looking to answer us. And he says, and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Come on, there's some things we need to know, and we're not going to know like we need to know until we get together and we put down our foot and we say enough is enough. I'm tired of a sucky life, and I declare I'm getting my stuff back. We're going to pray, and we're going to get answers, and God's going to show us some mighty things in our life. The Bible talks about a man by the name of Job. Many of us read it. It's a book just before Psalms. He lost everything he had. I mean, his, he was absolutely, actually, at that time, he was the wealthiest man on the face of the earth, and over a course of about 15 months, you've got to read the whole book. It's like 42 chapters. He loses all of his wealth. He loses some of his family members, and, 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 and he's plagued by health. Boils were all over his, his body. He's, he's scraping boils uh, with pottery, and his wife looks at him says, Job, you are, you are a miserable mess. Why don't you just curse God and die? It was so bad that even his friends turned on him and blamed him for his, his dilemma and his loss. But this is what happens at the end of Job. After that 15-month period, Job 42.10, and the Lord restored Job's losses. When? When he prayed. He got it all back. In fact, he actually got it back better than whatever was. But it didn't happen playing soccer. It didn't happen watching CNN news. Uh-oh. It didn't happen by going to a Trump rally. I can't get anybody to help me preach this morning. No, it happened when he prayed. And part of his prayer is he had to pray for his friends because he was hating on his friends and he was mad at his friends because his friends were blaming him. So he had an offense in his life. He was hating his friends and he had to let it go. And I'm here to tell you, some, some of you just need to let them go. You need to pray. And when he does, did that, indeed, the Lord gave Job twice. Somebody shout twice. That's better than it's ever been before. Twice as much as he had before. He was the wealthiest man before it all happened. Now he really is the wealthiest man. Come on, the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. Prayer is the answer 
to your loss. Prayer is the answer to your pain. Prayer is the answer to our problems. In fact, listen to me, whatever's keeping you from prayer, no matter how good it is, it is your enemy. People say, well, I just, not, I just don't have time to pray. That's what you used to say before social media. Now look at all the time you spend on social media. Woo! Woo! Hello. Come on, prayer's going to help us. Prayer's going to help us. Prayer is the only hope for our nation. Let me show you this scripture. You know it. 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and, and pray. I just got to take this moment. I, I've been waiting for this moment in this church so that I could direct the people that call celebration their home. This is the answer. This is the answer to, the, to all the hate that's in our nation. This, this is the answer to the anger that's in our nation. This is the answer to the racial divide in our nation. This is the answer to the, to the political turmoil in our nation. Listen to me. This is, this is how we're going to fix the problem. Trump can't fix your problem, and Hillary can't fix your problem. But if God's people will pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. And notice, I will heal their land. How do we get healing? We've got to be a people of prayer. Some of you, you're going crazy thinking that the next president is going to fix your issues. You have bumped your head somewhere. That's not going to fix your issues. It would be amazing what God could do. Hear me at all of our campuses. It would be amazing what God could do if we would just slow down long enough to be people of prayer. Huh? If we just spend as much time praying as we do, promoting and talking about our Savior Trump and our Savior Hillary, come on, let's not go that direction, church. I don't care who gets in that White House. It will not fix your problems. It's got to come from the church house. God Almighty is the answer to our nation. Come on, I'm, I'm going to clap myself. Here's my point. Restoration is happening for those who pray. Restoration is happening for those who pray. And if we'll pray, God will heal. Here's the third one. David pursued. I'm almost done. So he praised, he prayed, and then he pursued. First Samuel 38, and God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Oh. Pursuing, simply said, is just simply doing what God said. <laughs> It's just simply do it. It's, it's the key to restoration. We can praise. We can pray. But if we don't do what God says to do, there's no restoration in our life. You see, for God's plan to happen in your life, the pursuit is necessary. Man, I hope you hear that. 
A lot of people don't get that. The pursuit is necessary for God to do what He's promised in your life. In other words, God's plan, here's what I'm trying to say, God's plan doesn't fall on you automatically. God's blessings don't happen accidentally. Just because you want it to happen doesn't mean it's going to happen. People will say, man, I wish I had a marriage like yours. Really? I mean, you want to slap a person like that, right? Because a marriage doesn't happen like mine by wishing. It happens by helping your wife wash dishes and taking breakfast to her in bed and to get her the right birthday card. That's how a great marriage happens. I wish, I wish... Wishing doesn't get you a great marriage. People say, oh, I wish. I wish I was as blessed as they are. Well, you can be. But wishing is not going to make it happen. It's called a budget. It's called tithing. It's called giving. Oh, I wish I was healed. Wishing don't get you healed. Come on, you're going to have to get your Bible verses. You're going to have to get your faith in gear. You're going to have to begin to declare by the stripes of Jesus, I am the healed of the Lord. It doesn't happen by wishing. It happens for those who pursue it. Here's here's an interesting thought. We're all pursuing something. News, sports, occupations, our job, relationships. Question, it's not that those things are bad, but are you pursuing the right things? That's the reason why I like what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7. He says, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Now, why did Jesus say you need to ask? Why did Jesus say you need to seek? And why did Jesus say you need to knock? Because you have to pursue it in order to have it. You have to go after it in order to experience it. I'm so thankful. So many years ago, when it was tough and difficult, I, I made the decision because I knew there was a calling of God on my life at the age of 28 years of old of age. I thought, well, this is going to be tough, but I knew I needed to go to Bible school and I already was married, had three kids. How in the world are you going to do that? But I needed to pursue what God had for me and it was difficult and it was hard, but I'm experiencing the blessings of that pursuit. Some 20 plus years later, I'm here to tell you, it's all in the pursuit, doing what God tells you to do. So he says, you need to keep on asking. You need to keep on seeking. Why? Because it's all in the pursuit. And then he says this in verse 8, for everyone who asks, receives. And everyone, somebody shout everyone, who seeks, finds. And to everyone, shout everyone, who knocks, the door will be open for everyone. It's not a Pastor Randy thing. It's, it's, not, it's not a preacher thing. It's, it's not a special person. It's, it's for everyone. Everyone who will pursue. Everyone can, can have this opportunity of having a better life than it's ever been if you'll go after it for everyone. Yeah, but I, I prayed and, and nothing happened for everyone. Yeah, but 
but, but I, I've been coming to church week after week for years and still nothing has changed for everyone. Yeah, but do you really think for everyone? For every, I wish I could get some help, for everyone. Do you think God heals everyone? Every. I'm going to say it. That's what the Bible says. Everyone that'll seek. Everyone that'll ask. Everyone that'll pursue. Do you really think God prospers everyone? Everyone. If you'll do what God says to do. Everyone. Yeah. But my mother-in-law lives with me. For every. Yeah, but my wife is really, really ugly. For everyone, everyone who's in the pursuit. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but if you'll pursue it, if you'll go after it, I'm here to tell you, you're going to get there. You're going to get there. Come on, I wish somebody would believe what I'm preaching this morning. Come on, at all of our campuses. Well, why in the world are you doing all this crazy church stuff anyhow? Why are you doing all this crazy God stuff anyhow? I'll tell you why. I'm in pursuit. Why did you come to church today and all of our campuses? I'll tell you why. Because you're in pursuit. And that's why you'll be here next weekend and the weekend after and the Wednesday nights of prayer. Because we're in pursuit. Why are you treating your wife so kindly? I'll tell you why. Because I'm in. I'm in pursuit. Come on, wives. Why are you submitting to your husband and treating him like he's the king of the house? I'll tell you why. You're in pursuit. Why are you staying sexually pure? Why are you being the oddball? Because I'm in. You're in. We're in pursuit. Why are you forgiving them instead of blaming them? Because we're in. Come on, somebody help me. We're in. We're going to love people. I said, we're going to love people. We're going to be critical. We're not going to blame because we're in pursuit. I've come here to tell you, why are we praising? Because we're in pursuit. Why are we praying? Because we're in pursuit. And I'm here to tell you, restoration is happening for those who will pursue. Restoration will happen for those who pursue. Did you get it? It's happening for those who pray, those who praise, and those who pursue. In the middle of your mess, hear me at all the campuses as I close this service. In the middle of your mess, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your loss, when there's no more tears, to cry. It's okay to cry, but when the tears are gone, I'm here to tell you, if you'll pray, if you'll praise, if you'll pursue, I'm here to tell you, God will make it better than it's ever been. Come on, if you received that this morning. Come on, if you received that, come on, somebody shout, somebody clap, somebody agree, somebody praise. I want you to stand to your feet at all of our campuses. In just a moment, campus pastors are going to come back. They're going to give an opportunity for people to get saved. So please, nobody leaving. What a horrible time for you to sneak out and be on your way when God is dealing with hearts and lives and souls. And 
I want to just say it one more time. I believe in the stuff that I'm teaching. Come on. I'm smoking what I'm selling today. I so believe in what I'm teaching you this last week and this week that I believe if we'll have ears to hear. You know, here's the most discouraging thing. Hear me this morning. They say that, 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 that people that listen to, to, to preaching like this or teaching, that usually you'll forget it within an hour of the point at which you heard it. An hour. Please don't forget this. Please don't let this just slip by you. The enemy would love for you to forget that your God is a God who restores. And I believe with all my heart that God is positioning this ministry, your life, at all of our campuses, the people celebration for their best days yet. When we began this summer, when we began this summer, God spoke to me. He said, son, he said, he says, restoration is in operation. And you need to get up every day of your life and expect evidences of restoration happening in your life. I believe that's a word for this house. And I believe whatever's been stolen, whatever's been taken, is getting ready to be better. It's getting ready to be better than it's ever been before. Thank you so much for allowing me to sow this word into your life. Let's be an army. Come on, let's lock arms and let's, let's believe God for great things in 2016. The best part of this year is the rest of this year. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for all of our people at all of the campuses. God, I know there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of things going on just called life and people's lives. But God, we're so thankful that we're not stuck. And God, I believe that you are, you are stirring us here at Celebration. Father, not to cope with what is, but to fight, to stand up, and to declare that we have a God that can give it all back, a God that can restore it and make it better than it's ever been. God, I pray that that hope, that hope today would stir in the hearts of your people. And I pray, God, whatever the area is that's experienced the loss, I thank you right now that you're working in that area to heal and to deliver and to make it better than it's ever been. I bless your people today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.